Hello from the ABA Annual 2016 in San Francisco, California. I'm Sandy Gallant. I am the Seventh Circuit Governor of the Law Student Division representing the states of Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. I'm also a 2L at Northern Illinois University College of Law. I'm Jonathan Shapiro. <laughs> Hi, Jonathan Shapiro. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. aware of pop culture in any way, if you get a chance to tune in, watch television, if you like those legal dramas on TV, you should be thanking the guy we're talking to today, Jonathan Shapiro. He has really made a name for himself in Hollywood, um, writing terrific shows like Boston Legal, The Practice, and most recently, The Blacklist. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, that, I, I wish I was as interesting as you made me sound. <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. Now. It's too late. Uh, but you know what? What's interesting is that you actually have a legal background. I do. I spent uh, 10 years as a federal prosecutor. Wow. In uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. Yeah. And being sent around the country handling racketeering cases in garden spots like Mobile, Alabama and Albany, Georgia. And uh, I left after, uh, after those 10 years and became uh, of counsel at the law firm of O'Melveny and Myers. And then became chief of staff for our uh, then newly elected lieutenant governor who became Al Gore's California representative. And if Al Gore had beaten George Bush, my boss would have been secretary of the interior Wow. I would have been undersecretary, and I believe we would have been indicted within six months. <laughs> so it probably is just as well. Oh, man. It didn't work out that you way. You know, it's interesting how life changes on a dime like that, and how you could have worked for the federal government. Forever. Forever. But you turned to TV. So it's a funny story and a true story. Uh, I met a, a woman on a blind date. She was writing for the television show Roseanne at the time, and I was trying a big drug case in Los Angeles. And we had nothing in common, and so, of course, we got married. And uh, <laughs> she went on to write for Friends. Her name is Betsy Bournes. Yeah. She wrote a wonderful book on stand-up comedy, and she also uh, wrote the lyrics for an uh, iconic piece of music known as Smelly Cat. <laughs> we, uh, we got married, and we had twins, and... Uh, they're starting as freshmen at Indiana University, so they're under your jurisdiction. Wow. And, uh, but when they were born, my wife said, you know, if you could sell a script, we could get double health benefits at the Writers Guild of America. And uh, I'm third generation LA, and our people are not show business people. And uh, we stay away from show business people because they, they have questionable character. But I sold a script to David Kelly uh, for a TV show called The Practice, based on a trial that I had uh, when I first started out. And that was uh, 2000, and 16 years later, I've, I've, I've achieved the greatest thing you can achieve in television, 
uh, I've never been unemployed in television. So I, that's, that's how you know you're a success. That's fantastic. So let's talk about these shows that you've produced. For example, you mentioned The Practice. That really was the start of your screenwriting career. It was, and it was. Uh, I worked on that show for uh, four years. Uh, wrote, I think, I think David Kelly and I, David is the most prolific writer on that show. I was the second most prolific, which sounds great, except I think he did like 120, and I think I did maybe 30. Wow. But uh, The Practice was a show that I watched as a lawyer. I loved it. I never missed it every Sunday and so the opportunity to actually write for the characters that you came to love as a, as a member of the audience was spectacular. And, um, you know, really proud of that work. I think one of the highlights of writing on The Practice was two days after 9-11, David Kelly and I were talking and I said, you know, I, I know where the law is going to be in six weeks because I had done a rotation in the terrorism unit at Justice. And I understood sort of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and classified information and I pitched him a story which we wrote uh, it's a script that I'm really proud of called Inter Armis Silent Legis which is Latin for in war law is silent and we sort of imagined where the law would be in terms of rendition in terms of the difficulty of representing terror suspects right and uh, really proud of, of how accurate that was but the practice then spun off into Boston Legal, and I worked on that from the beginning. And uh, again, I was the second most prolific writer to David, but again, that doesn't mean very much. And, uh, and then I started getting my own shows on the air with the uh, Bruckheimer television. So I'm curious, um, because I know that both the practice and Boston Legal were set in the city of Boston. Just out of curiosity, why Boston? So David Kelly, who is the greatest practitioner of legal procedural in, in uh, the history of TV. The only guy to ever win an Emmy for best comedy and best drama the same year. Wow. When uh, he won for the practice in Ally McBeal. He's a New Englander. He's from uh, that area, went to law school there and practiced in Boston. So he loves Boston. Our new show that we created together called Goliath, which is on Amazon Prime, is set in my home of Los Angeles. Ah. And uh, it's sort of backed to his past because, of course, David Kelly's first job in television was writing for L.A. Law, really iconic legal procedural. But that, that's why Boston. I went to college back there, too, and, and uh, it's a wonderful legal community. So how does one brainstorm and, and really come up with these terrific characters like Denny Crane? David Kelly came up with Denny Crane and uh, gets all the credit for the idea of William Shatner. He wasn't the first choice for the role. And uh, Kelly's the one who said we should get William Shatner. And I was in the meetings when people thought that that was the worst idea anybody had ever heard. <laughs> now it's impossible to imagine anyone else. No kidding. People don't remember, I think, that, that actually Denny Crane and the James Spader character, Alan Shore, were introduced during the last couple seasons of The Practice. Right. And then sp that spun off into Boston Legal. And... Uh, the opportunity to write for those two actors, I've since been able to write for Spader on the blacklist, but those two actors in those roles had a chemistry that you could write all you want unless the actors actually bring what they brought to the roles, it would never have worked. And they couldn't have been more different. Spader was a meticulous preparer, spot on. I, I once wrote a four-page speech for him to give to the Supreme Court, and he was word perfect. 
Uh, Mr. Shatner, God bless him, less, less prepared. Oh, no. Uh, we used to do the coverage of a scene if they were in it together. We would shoot Spader's side first. And uh, it was always fun to watch Shatner memorizing his lines for when we were going to cover him. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, great, great experience working for them. And, and so your question about how do you brainstorm and how do you come up with the stories, you know, we, we basically uh, drew from our own experiences. David drew from his experience as a lawyer. And uh, I, I've tried in my career to only do stories that I either was a participant in or I witnessed myself just because I think it makes the job easier. How do you come up with new material? Well, that, it's funny because that what I just told you with how I did stories worked for about four years and then right. I was out of material. Yeah. Uh, well, you, that's the work of a writer. I just published my first novel through Anchorwick Press, which is uh, a trilogy based on a woman prosecutor in my old office at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And it's about a police shooting. It's called Deadly Force. I wanted to do a, a novel that sort of peeled the curtain back to explain why it is that prosecuting a police officer is almost impossible. And I wanted to show what it costs the prosecutors and the law enforcement officials who try to get the bad cop convicted. Well, that story came out of the fact that I used to prosecute police brutality cases at the U.S. Attorney's Office and the news, uh, watching the Ferguson case, watching right. uh, Freddie Gray case, and listening to people, some of whom are my friends, sort of holding forth on cable news, not really explaining it in a way that I thought was accurate or fair. So, you know, a lot of times story will strike you because it happened to you. Other times it strikes you because it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a combination of things you see in the news and, and things that happen to you. You also have written another book, Lawyer, Liars, and the Art of Storytelling. And um, what was the impetus for that book? The American Business Trial Lawyers invited me to address their 40th annual convention, and the subject was storytelling in law. At the time, what I should have been doing, instead of preparing the speech, was writing a pilot that I had sold to Fox that I couldn't figure out how to write. Mm -hmm. And so instead of doing the job I was being paid for, I spent all my time preparing for this speech for which I wasn't getting paid anything. And it got me thinking seriously about rhetoric, things I had learned in law school, things I had learned in college, things I had learned as a newspaper reporter, but most of all, things I had learned practicing law and writing about law. And so the book is a sort of how-to, use rhetoric and storytelling to be a better lawyer, be a better person, be a better spouse. And it's partly a memoir of just my experience writing TV shows, working with actors, uh, working with Harvey Weinstein and Jerry Bruckheimer and David Kelly. And uh, the book is, uh, surprisingly to me anyway, been really successful. It's now in paperback and uh, it's being used in business schools and law schools and just everyday folks reading it and enjoying it. So I'm really yes. proud of that book. Yeah, absolutely. Great job. Let's go back to the, harken back to your law school years. And as you look back now, what are some of those key things that you took away from your law school experience that have carried you through the course of your multifaceted career? That's a great question. I, I guess the first thing was uh, I went to Berkeley that was pass-fail. 
So I got a job as a newspaper reporter while I was in law school, writing for Steve Brill's newspaper at the time, the San Francisco Recorder. So I would have criminal law in the mornings, and then for the rest of the day I'd be in courts covering trials. And it gave me a great insight and lesson that has been of great service to me over the years, which is what you learn in law school is not really what happens in real life. But what you learn in law school is the idea and the ideal and you can't really understand real life unless you know the basis and the foundation and the theory behind it. I thought that was incredibly helpful. The second thing I learned in law school was rhetoric from a great professor who has since passed away named David Dalby, who taught two incredibly interesting and irrelevant classes called the, the Bible and Law and Roman Law. But they were really classes about rhetoric. They were really classes about ethos, pathos, and logos, and the structuring of effective arguments. Everything I learned in David Dalby's seemingly irrelevant classes uh, has carried me through two great careers. What I learned in Dalby's classes made me a, a better trial lawyer. It certainly made me a better writer. The third thing I guess I learned in law school that I, I always tell law students is, everybody you meet in law school, you're gonna see again and again, and again. We are a small band of brothers and sisters, and uh, relationships with your fellow classmates, with your lawyers, I think are the key to not just success in the profession, but happiness in the profession. I'm appalled. Uh, the ABA put out a, uh, a survey with Betty Ford that showed just extraordinary levels of uh, alcoholism and depression among our, uh, our fellow lawyers. Well, it's not just lawyers, it's also law students. You know, I was coming down in the elevator and I heard, uh, I was in an elevator with a bunch of really good looking young people and I thought, wow, this is what we would cast as a bunch of young lawyers. And they were a bunch of young lawyers and they were talking about the survey and they were talking about anxiety and stress and depression. As lawyers, uh, according to the survey, we have double the uh, numbers in terms of problematic drinking than doctors. How do we fix that? I think we, I'm a, I'm a believer... Uh, and I'm not the first one to come up with this. Apparently Freud and Jung came up with this. But I'm a, I'm a believer that the stories we tell ourselves about our past and the stories we tell ourselves about our present affect our mental health. I think as lawyers, we've done a poor job conveying the nobility of our profession, the idealism of the profession. It's become, I think, um, passe to talk about the fact that de Tocqueville, when he came and looked at America, he felt that lawyers and the jury system were the most important democratic institutions in America. We live in a time where the number of trials have gone down 50% since when I started as a lawyer. In the federal system, less than 1% of all cases are decided by a jury. I don't see people talking about that. I don't see lawyers complaining about it. And I don't see lawyers talking about the heroic efforts that lawyers have made throughout our history to make the country better. And uh, our new show, Goliath, talks about how law in the 21st century needs to change. And we were, we were writing this before Bernie Sanders uh, came around, but how corporate power and business power have eclipsed the meaning and significance of law in a way that ought to make us all, as Americans, concerned. So I think we have to get back to first principles, which are lawyers are the protectors, defenders, and creators of American idealism. They were the, the guiding lights of our Constitution. They were on the barricades of all social change to the good. And uh, we need to embrace that better. How can law schools, in your opinion, 
help resurrect those ideals? So they should, I'm glad you asked me because I have a plan. And the plan is law school should be two years, not three years. The third year should be a practical year on the English model. Secondly, rhetoric should be a mandatory first year class instead of legal writing or in conjunction with legal writing. The ability to form a cogent, persuasive argument is not being taught in legal research and writing. And it should be taught. No, it's IRAC. Right. It's issue spotting and it's blue book and it's uh, doing a real disservice to our profession and I think robbing us of the, the poetry of law and uh, our efficiency and effectiveness as communicators. And the third thing that I would suggest is I, I think we live in a time where unless lawyers have a mandatory community service component of their first five years, pro bono sort of selective service, we're doing a tremendous disservice not just to the profession but to the nation as a whole. We live in a time where far too many people don't have access to a lawyer, yeah. people who need it. And uh, we could fix that very quickly through the law schools. All right. Well, I'm not running for anything either. I'm just no. throwing out these ideas. I just want to be clear about that. Well, I, can I send, we write you in on the ballot, no, sir? No, no, you can't. <laughs> I, if called upon, I would not serve. But uh, you know what? I'm curious. If you could go back and and go back to Jonathan Shapiro, the one L at Berkeley, what advice would you give Jonathan Shapiro, the probably the nervous, the anxious one L, wondering how he's going to get through law school? I would say that's a very good question. I would say the first thing, absolutely, I'd be much more interested in the people around me than in the subject matter. I would make closer friendships and maintain them. You know, with the obsession with career and with uh, jobs and with grades, we lose sight of the fact that we're in a people profession and the people around us are the first friends we've got to make and keep. Yeah. I guess the second thing is, is um, uh, I love law school. I love the experience of law school. Instead of working for a newspaper, I think I, I would have uh, possibly been better served doing more practical legal work. I mean, I ended up, you know, trying cases for 10 years. And I got a lot of practical legal experience. But there's almost no um, limit to what you can learn by actually getting your hands dirty and practicing law. The one thing I always say to law students is, for God's sake, don't be one of these people who goes to law school and never practices. They got a place for that. It's called business school. <laughs> Uh, if, if you go through the process of getting your law degree, you've got to pass the bar and you've got to know what it's like to stand yeah. up in court or to stand up in a deposition or to handle a contract or to put a deal together on behalf of another human being. Then you'll understand what it is really to be an advocate and to be a, a servant of a client. And uh, I'm amazed how many young lawyers in particular come up to me and, and basically if you take all their complaints about the profession and narrow them down to one thing, they are disappointed and shocked and unhappy to realize they're in a service industry. You know, we serve clients. Sometimes it's the United States, sometimes it's a foreign country, sometimes it's an angry guy who wants a divorce or woman who's been accused of a crime. We serve them. And unless you want to serve people and by the way, even corporations have people who represent them uh, and in them. If you don't want to serve people, if you don't like people, you shouldn't be a lawyer. But I don't hear anybody saying that. No, it's interesting you say that because I think in a lot of ways, the shows that, that you and, and David E. Kelly have produced have conveyed that exact message through your episodes of The Practice and Boston Legal. Please, I, I hope that's true. That, that's certainly our goal. You know, 
We uh, had a presentation here in front of the ABA uh, this morning, and uh, I could bet money, because we always get the question, some very, very sincere person will stand up and say, in a nice way, how can you live with yourselves in light of how you present the law? And David Kelly and I both love the law. And not only do we love the law, we love lawyers. Uh, my brother's a lawyer, my best friends are lawyers. I think law is the highest ideal that Americans uh, aspire to. What I don't see often are lawyers admitting they're human beings and that these cases take a tremendous amount out of the people involved. That's what we try to show in Goliath. Billy Bob Thornton's character, William Hurt's character, are lawyers who've actually been doing it long enough that it has affected them, it has changed them, it has battered them. And the reason why I think drinking and alcoholism and substance abuse and depression are elements of our community is in part because we don't recognize it and we don't deal with it. Or we're in denial. We're in denial and there's no money in dealing with it, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, so I, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I hope our shows convey that. The show, Goliath, and that is going to be uh, airing on Amazon Prime, right? It, it airs, uh, all episodes will be available on Amazon Prime in the third week in October. It's the first time David Kelly and I have ever done a binge-watching, streaming uh, show. It's an amazing cast of Academy Award-winning actors, and um, I think it's going to be a controversial show. I know it's controversial already because the Amazon testing shows it's their most popular show they've ever tested. And it's uh, the show that seems to make people either incredibly happy or incredibly angry. Wow. So it's a civil case, not a criminal case. And it's uh, about law in the 21st century and uh, the unbelievable advantages that corporate America has versus the individual. And also what it means to live in a country at perpetual war and what perpetual war does to our legal system. Interesting. Two books, Deadly Force and Lawyers, Liars, and The Art of Storytelling. Lawyers, Liars, and The Art of Storytelling because uh, I've been both lawyer, liar. Awesome. I'm kidding. I have to tell you, it has been a sincere pleasure oh, you're so speaking nice. Thank with you. you. Thank you very much. You are obviously evidence of a super lawyer, a wow. super writer, and a superman. So thank you so much for your time. You know, because it's radio... You can refer to me as Superman. No one on a uh, visual screen would say that, but thank you and go Huskies. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate that in DeKalb. And uh, for our <laughs> students who are listening, uh, if anybody wants to reach out and touch base with you, how can they do that? They can reach me on my um, Facebook uh, authors page, Jonathan Shapiro. They can reach me on Legal Shapiro on Twitter. They can also reach me through Anchorwick Press. You could stand on the corner near my house and scream my name. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, and you can also get me through Amazon Prime Goliath webpage. I may be too accessible. No, I, I, I think this is perfect. I may be too accessible. I have to think about that. <laughs> it's been a real treat talking with you, you today, Jonathan Shapiro. Hey, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guest, Jonathan Shapiro, for joining us today. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you 
you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.